Um, first of all, uh, I just want to make sure that you remember this uh, Tuesday on Christmas Eve that we're going to have a Christmas Eve service at 4 p.m. Uh, and I would urge you to come out for that. It'll be a blessed time of worshiping God together and remembering why we are going through this season. We will be no longer than an hour. You'll be out of here by 5. Uh, we will... Uh, we'll do communion together and just be able to worship God together in that time. Uh, it is awesome to be together at this time of the year, isn't it? To be able to worship God together and to be able to focus ourselves on uh, what what God has sent to us, what he has brought to us through his son, Christ. And I want to look into that this morning in Luke chapter 2 uh, through the eyes of Simeon, Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 21. Uh, this, this always amazes me. There's not much that we know about uh, uh, Simeon. There's not a lot that, we, that the Bible says about him, but in this short passage we can learn a lot from his life and his response to, to God and his confidence in God and, and uh, how he was looking forward to the Son of God coming. Uh, so... Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 21. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, meaning Christ, uh, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had, conceived, had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will, will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So what I want to look at here today is the idea that Christ was this blessing of God that as we've talked about over the last few weeks, uh, the, the significance that the Bible places on hospitality and hospitality, again, the Greek word means to love strangers. And the idea of hospitality originated in the heart of God. We see that in Christ. We see that uh, as we look through these scriptures talking about Christmas, it talks how uh, the people who were walking in darkness have seen a great light. And God would cause the light of Christ to shine on men to guide them back to the path of peace. So in hospitality, in the heart of God, God has sent his son and in love, uh, expressed through hospitality, has invited us who were walking in darkness as strangers to have a seat at his table. That is what we are talking about here. That the blessing of, of Christ is God inviting us back to the place of peace and communion with him. That is what we see 
in the baby uh, Christ who came to be with us, God with us. But the amazing thing about this is that 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 thing that was conceived in the heart of God and sent through his son to the earth to draw strangers, to draw them to his table, to have a seat at his table, to have peace and communion and fellowship with them, that same blessing is also, as the word of God says, we just saw what can cause the falling of many people. It says he would cause the rising of many, the falling of many. And I want to look at what distinguishes the falling or the rising of many today. Uh, so we have Sim, Simeon talking about presenting this truth concerning Christ the King. He is moved by the Holy Spirit and begins to speak of Christ as the salvation that is sent from God to dwell among men. Uh, so he would have known these prophecies in the Old Testament. He would have known these things as he was a priest. In uh, Isaiah 7.14, he would have heard this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel, or God with us. So Simeon is moved by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God said he is moved by the Holy Spirit, and he declares that this salvation has come in Christ, and this salvation would be for all mankind. There is no distinguishing between people. As we've talked before, that at the foot of the cross, all men are equal. There is not anything that distinguishes any person, not wealth, not status. There is nothing that you have in yourself that can raise you above other people at the foot of the cross. When we are standing there, every person on the face of the earth is equal before the cross of Christ. Uh, so we see then this call of good news to all people. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 10, it says, Do not be afraid. This is the angels when they came to the shepherds. They said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Uh, so the good news again is that those who are walking in darkness would be given the light of Christ, the light of God, to guide them from that darkness, to light their path back to the path of peace with God. That is the gospel message in itself, is restoration of peace and communion with the Father, with God. That is what we are looking at when we see Christ uh, who has come to be with us. But again, Simeon goes on to say then uh, that Christ would cause the falling and rising of many Again, in verse 34, it says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken again so that thoughts of many hearts will, will be revealed. And we see this uh, in multiple places throughout the, throughout the scriptures. It's not just here in what Simeon's talking about. We see many places in the scripture where it talks about how Christ would be a blessing to some and he would cause others to stumble. Just that the truth that is presented from him would cause others to stumble. And in First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 6, we see this. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious stone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that causes them to fall. So we see that, uh, again, Christ is likened to this cornerstone or a stone that causes some to stumble, but for those who believe, he is precious. He is a precious stone for those who believe. Number one, because we are able to be connected with him as the cornerstone. We don't have to try to figure out how to fit ourselves into the spiritual house that God is building. He has set Christ as the cornerstone and everything is measured off of that stone and God places me. He cuts away the things in my heart to shape me, to fit me in that spiritual house where he wants me to be. 
I don't have to wonder. I don't have to wonder what my purpose is, where I need to go. All I need to do is pursue Christ and His holiness, and He will place me in His spiritual house, uh, measured off of Him as the cornerstone. He will place me where He wants me to be. You see, all it takes is me fixing my eyes on Christ and pursuing His holiness, walking in His Spirit, and He will guide me one step at a time where He wants me to be in life. We make it way more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. That's the preciousness of the stone, the cornerstone, that we can be measured off of Him. We don't have to wonder where we need to be. But you see, there are also other aspects of that. There are many people who see Christ as the precious cornerstone because they have seen uh, uh, the, the preciousness comes when we value Him for what He has done for us. We understand the destitution of our souls. We understand that we had no hope without Him. You see, that's a blessing. Oswald Chambers said that the greatest spiritual knowledge, uh, the, the greatest blessing spiritually is the knowledge that we are destitute. The greatest blessing is when I come to the place where I recognize I don't have anything. That I have nothing to offer when I come to God. I have nothing, again, as we've said before, that my pockets are empty when I come to the cross. You see, most people don't ever want to come to the place where they acknowledge that they have nothing. But it's a great blessing when we come to that place because then God can finally come and do something in me because I've come to the end of myself. When I don't come to that place, when I don't realize my destitution, then I'm going to work to try to gain salvation. I'm going to think that I have something to offer. I'm going to try to orchestrate things in life to try to uh, play out my own plans or I'm going to try to do things out of my own strength. And that will fail you every time. You see, the greatest blessing is when we finally realize that I am fully empty, that I have nothing, that I am a spiritual beggar at the foot of the cross. But when I come to him in that way, then the Bible says that he will raise me up to be a kingdom and priests for him, that we are then in Christ adopted into the family of God and we become co-heirs of all of the things that Christ have. We inherit them with him. You see, when I admit then that I am spiritually weak and poor and powerless, God makes me rich in Christ. That is the preciousness of Christ. He helps us to understand who we are so that we can get out of the way. And when we get out of the way, then He raises us up to be what we were created to be in the first place, to have communion and peace and fellowship with God. So Christ is precious for those who truly recognize why He came, what He wants to do in their hearts, and they submit themselves and allow themselves to be aligned with Him as the cornerstone. But to those who, who don't believe, He is the stone that causes them to stumble and fall. Meaning that those who reject Christ as the only means of salvation, He immediately becomes their ruin. You see, there's a place that we can come to in life. There are a place that a lot of people exist in life where Christ is presented to them. And in rejecting that preciousness of the gift of God, in rejecting the hospitality of God, in inviting them, the strangers, them as strangers, in inviting them to God's table to have a place of peace and communion with Him, to have fellowship with Him, when they reject that, Christ is no longer precious to them, but he, come, he becomes their ruin. It can't be any other way. The blessing of God has been extended to them. The mercy of God has been extended to them. 
And in rejection of that, Christ becomes their stumbling block. You see, there are many that stumble over Christ. Uh, well, let me say it this way. Every person is confronted with this question. When we go back to the Word of God, we see that Christ uh, was talking with his disciples and he asked them, who, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say Elijah, some say a prophet, all these things. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And you understand that every single person, there is not, every one of us is confronted with that question. You see, none of the external things of religion matter. None of those things. It all boils down to the question, who do you say that Christ is? You see, we can even look at the church. We can say, well, these people offended me and they did this and this, so I don't want anything to do with the church anymore. The church people aren't Christ. Who do you say he is? I understand that sometimes we're hurt by things, but we have to get to the core of the issue, Just who do you say Christ is? And you understand that every time, we're not just talking about people outside of the church that don't know We're not talking about people outside the church who maybe haven't heard much about him. We're talking also about people in the church who hear the word of God every week, who go home and they have Bible studies, or we go home and we have ten Bibles sitting on our shelves collecting dust. You understand what we're saying is that we have access to all of these things that would teach us of the preciousness of Christ. All these things that would guide us to be able to fix our eyes on him. We have fellowship of believers. That's one of the most amazing things that we have. You know, as we, as we served in, in the Dominican Republic so many years, one of the most difficult things, I think, is that there are many people in the villages who don't have Christian fellowship. That's one of the greatest things we have that they don't. There's one guy in particular I can remember years ago that uh, we ran into, and he went through a lot of things, and, and uh, uh, he, he, w- he had stolen things, and... and uh, as a result of that, the people that he had stolen things from had beat him and they tried to burn him uh, alive. Well, he made it through it. And eventually he came to know Christ. Uh, we'll tell you the longer story eventually someday. But eventually he came to know Christ. We went to visit him one day in a village. And uh, my sister had given him an audio book, an audio Bible. And we showed up that day, and he was listening to his audio Bible with about three people uh, around him in front of his house. And that was amazing to see that, but I couldn't help also thinking about how uh, tragic it was in that specific village that there was no one other than those, at least him, I don't know where the other three people stood, but there was no body of believers there was nothing there was nothing like this there was nothing like you call something and put somebody on a prayer chain or there was no uh i, I don't know what to do about this situation so let me call the pastor or let me call the person who teaches sunday school there was nothing like that there was nothing for these people now they need God alone i understand that but you understand the value we have in the body of christ being able to come here and share one another's burdens and be able to walk through life together to be able to uh, uh, pick each other up when somebody's struggling, to be able to encourage one another, to be able to testify to what God is doing. That is such a valuable thing that a lot of people in the world don't have. What I'm saying 
is that at some point we are going to be held accountable for the opportunities that we have. In America, we have opportunities to hear a lot of things. We have bookstores with books on anything you could imagine about Christianity. I wouldn't advise you to read a lot of them. But what I'm saying is we have access to information. We have access to fellowship. We have access to so many things to walk in Christ together, to find truth. We're going to be held accountable for it. So in Christ becoming a stumbling block to many, we're not just talking about the people outside of the church. We're talking about people sometimes who come week after week and hear. And they have opportunities to fellowship and they choose not to take advantage of the opportunity. They choose not to be a good steward of the opportunity that they have. So Christ becomes a stumbling block not just to those Outside, we cast these things off in the distance so many times to people that, that are outside of these places. Immediately when we hear something, we usually think of somebody else. At some point, we have to search ourselves and make sure that we are living up to the opportunities that we have. That we are give, being a good steward of the spiritual opportunities that God has given us. Are we being a good steward of our opportunities in fellowship together? Are we being a good steward in lifting others up, encouraging other people? Because if we choose not to take advantage of those opportunities, the blessing of those things immediately becomes the stumbling block. You see, God is going to judge us based on the responsibility we have for the opportunities that we have been given. So Christ, we have to make sure that we are... uh, uh, analyzing ourselves honestly at some point to make sure that we are being a good steward of what God has given us. But many will fall. He says in in, uh, verse 34, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Uh, In Matthew 21, 44 says this, Christ says, anyone who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Uh, There are so many... that live today with a contempt of Christ. I've said before, but I like to watch uh, debates with atheists and Christians, and there's so many that have such a distorted concept of who God is. There's so many that begin to mock God based on their distorted view of who God is and what Christ's mission actually was. And people that will go on to live this life with a concept of God that is distorted. And they will reject him because of that. He says, many will fall. The child is uh, destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. You understand what we're talking about at the root of this is that many, many people will fall because they want a different king. They're not content with the king that God has offered them. And as we talked about last week, we see some sort of precedent for that in the Bible. We see that people have done this, even the Israelites. We talked last week about this in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We see that the Israelites rejected God as their king because they wanted an earthly king. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 4, it says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. 
They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint uh, to us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And the Lord uh, told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is, not the, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. In verse 9 he says, Warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And then he goes through all these things, God telling Samuel, of all the things that the king would do, the ways that the people would be oppressed by the king that they wanted. And God's saying, here it is, I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm telling you of all the struggles that you are going to face. And in verse 19, it says, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. All the things that God was telling them, I'm telling you exactly what's going to happen if you reject me. You can. I'm leaving you the option, but I'm telling you what's going to happen. And they said, no. We want a king just like everyone else. We want to look like everyone else looks. We want to have the worldly protections that everyone else has. You see, in that moment, they forgot who God was. They forgot the the significance of their king. They wanted a different king. And in the same way, many today will reject him because they just want a different king. Some people want to be their own king. Some people want some sort of worldly government to be their king. We see it all the time that people people uh, obsess and obsess about worldly governments and everything going on in, in, in the government around us. And I'm not telling you not to be involved in politics. We absolutely should be. We see the avenue from that should be praying that the heart of God would be revealed to those who are in our governments. And the reason I'm saying this is I think too many times we as Christians do a lot more complaining than we do praying. In that, when we choose to do more complaining than we do praying, we are rejecting God as a king because we are thinking that I can try to convince somebody of how the government should function, that I in my strength can orchestrate things. You understand what I'm saying is we have to figure out how to deal with things spiritually. That first of all, I'm a kingdom, I'm, I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. My goal then is to understand the will of my king and that he would express his will through me in my culture, in my society, in my community. I would influence from that avenue rather than just a heart of complaining about all of the things that are going on around me. What I'm saying to you is that the government isn't going to save anyone from anything. I don't care what party you're affiliated with. I don't care what you think. There, a, a world. It's not just America. There's no government on the face of the earth that is going to save anyone from anything. There's none. And there are too many times where we reject God in favor of earthly provision or protection. I love in Psalm 103, David opens by saying, Praise the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord, and forget not all of his benefits. You see, in the moment where Israel said 
that we don't care what's going to happen. We want another king. In that moment, they forgot the benefits of God. In that moment, all of the blessings of God became their stumbling block. And you see, there, it is absolutely possible for us to come to the place today where all of the blessings, the protections of God, the, the provision of God, the strength of God, all of these things that are presented before us that we can walk in if we would choose to do so, all of those things are no longer a blessing. They become our ruin. Because there's no other way. We have to be held accountable for uh, the choice to reject Christ as king. We have to be simply because he is the door. He is the door to the Father. He is the door to communion and peace. He alone is the only way. There's nothing else. Now I can tell you that's the door. Here's the door right here. That's the one you walk through. If you want to have communion with God, walk through that door right there. But there are many people who will hear that message over and over and say, you know what, I don't like that door. I'm going to try a different one. In that moment, that very door that it, that leads us to peace and communion becomes our ruin. You see, there are people out in the world that are rejecting Christ as that door. There are people that sit in churches every week that reject God as that door. But you understand that if you choose to walk through that door, Christ becomes the most precious thing that you could even imagine. He is no longer anyone's ruin. He is no longer a stumbling block. He is a light to our path. The guide us to the path of peace. He is no longer our stumbling block but he is the one that raises us up to be seated with him at the table of God, to have peace and communion and fellowship, to be adopted, to have an inheritance in God. He takes us from that place of destitution and raises us up in God. So there are many that will, that will fall, but there are many that will rise in Christ. Again, he said the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. You see, we are able to rise in him because in a world of chaos where everything, uh, especially in the day we live in, we talked about it last week, we live in a day where most people don't believe that truth exists. And when we as humans begin to take on that philosophy that everything is up in the air. There's nothing that's concrete. There's nothing that we can look at and say, this is sure, when we start to think the truth doesn't exist. Now what we're saying is, it's not possible to live that way. You can't go through your life that way. Everything will be tossed back and forth like the waves of the sea. But you understand that those who rise are the ones who see uh, the truth of Christ and who he is and the solid foundation that is immovable that we can build our lives in. Because it, it is immovable because it transcends this earth. 
The things of God, the truth of God, the blessings that come from God are immovable in this world because they come from the place where God dwells. They come from a place that transcends this world. God has ordained them in this world, but they are established in Him, the God that is immovable. Now that is very, very significant for us to understand today, as I have said, because there, I, I said it quickly last week, but we live in a day where a baby can be born. You can see, uh, you can see its physical being. You can see its body parts, and there are people would say that that doesn't matter. That you can't assign a gender. That that because. Somebody has this body part doesn't necessarily mean that they're a male or a female, whatever it is. You understand that when we come to that place, as I said last week, there is nothing left. There is nothing left for humans that when we can't point to something and say, that is sure. That is not movable. That, that, this truth exists whether I feel like it exists or not. No matter how I feel about it, whether, whether I like it or not, this thing exists. It is sure. It's not something we can change. You see, that stuff exists. The things that are immovable exist because it is ordained by God. God is the one who created this way he is the one who sets the standard. Therefore, this, whatever it is, is immovable. Now, I, I say that because too many times as Christians, we reduce these ideas just to certain things. Meaning that things like transgender things are huge in our culture today. And we will hammer and hammer on that as Christians. And I'm not saying we shouldn't speak out against it. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But what I'm saying is we can't reduce it just to one issue that we're against is the church. What I'm saying is, at the root of that issue is mankind trying to abolish truth. That is the root of the issue. It's beyond justice. That's, that's the manifestation of the issue, what we see. But that, the, the abolition of truth can manifest itself in multiple other ways. And sometimes even in the church. What I'm saying is there are things that are established in the heart of God that transcend this earth and we have to figure out in the church how to build our lives on that foundation if we're going to call the world to live on the foundation of truth we better figure out in the church how to live on the foundation of truth we have christ talking about this foundation luke chapter 6 he says why do you call me lord lord and do not do not do what i say as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house, uh, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well, well built. You understand, what we are saying is the foundation of truth is what we as the church are established in. We are built on that. And in that, when we build our lives on this foundation of truth, then we are able to rise in Him. And as we rise in Him, build on this foundation, it doesn't matter what is happening around us. It doesn't matter what storms we see, because we are established on a foundation that transcends this world. 
That is how we rise as the church. That's how Christ becomes precious to us, because we are building ourselves on what he has established. And as I do that, then I rise in him. You understand, as I said in the beginning, that there is no place there's no place in this where we can stand where we can choose not to be affected by Christ one way or the other. The Bible says that many will rise, many will fall. He will either be precious to you or he will be a stumbling block. There's no place between there. You're either going to rise with him or you're going to fall. You're either going to see him and understand him and walk in him as the most precious thing, the most valuable thing you could ever find or will be crushed by him. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this, wherever Christ Jesus comes with whomsoever he may come in contact, he is never without influence. Never inoperative, but in every case, a weighty result is produced. There is about the holy child Jesus a power which is always in operation. He is not set to be unobserved, inactive, slumbering personage in the midst of Israel, but he is set for the falling or the rise of many to whom he is known. Never does a man hear the gospel, but he either rises or falls under that hearing. What we are saying is the very things that you are presented with, whether it's right now in this moment or whether it's when you're at home and you have books that you choose to leave on, sit on yourself, on your shelf, you have Bibles that you choose to leave sit on your shelves, you have opportunities. You have opportunities to know Christ as the precious Savior. You have opportunities to know that. You have opportunities to know fellowship and communion and peace with God. We have the opportunity for that. We have the opportunity to do that in peace. We don't have people beating down our doors to try to find out who's doing what so they can kill us for it. The only reason we would fall in Christ is if we choose to neglect such a precious salvation that is offered to us. If we would choose to reject the precious blessings that are offered to us. If we would choose to reject the communion and peace that God has made available to us, not just a one-time thing where I receive salvation and then I wait for heaven, but the communion and peace that is offered to us today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. It is an ongoing relationship that I walk in the peace and communion with God and fellowship with Him daily. It is an active relationship that we walk in. And if not, we are rejecting the things of God that are presented to us. We are rejecting the preciousness of that uh, relationship with God. This is the last thing I'll say as the worship team comes up. We have to make sure that we we have to make sure that we are honest with ourselves about where we stand spiritually and ask that the Spirit of God would search us to reveal to us where we stand. I ask you that 
as you go through the next few days in celebrating Christ, number one, that we would actually celebrate Christ and not other things. But two, that you would take some time to analyze your relationship with Christ, asking the Spirit of God to reveal your heart. But as you do that, not thinking of the, th- the, the theological things that you know, the things that you've been told since you've been uh, in Sunday school your whole life, a lot of us. Because as I've said before, most of us know the right answers. We know how to respond to things. But when you spend time trying to figure out where you stand with Christ, whether he's precious to you or whether he's a stumbling block to you, analyze your actions. Look back to the last week of your life or the last month of your life and analyze the things that you have done, the things you've spent money on, the things that you have uh, put on TV to laugh at, the people that we choose to, to uh, uh, fellowship with, whether we choose to actively pursue a relationship with, with him or not. Have we spent time pursuing him? Those are the things that will tell you what you actually believe about Christ. You see, the blessings of God are available for us if we would just step into them. I love in the uh, the Advent reading when Dean was praying, he said, too often we have settled for the promise of peace rather than the practice or reality of peace. Too often we have settled for the promise or the premise of peace rather than the practice or reality of peace. You see, we, we have to make sure as Christians that we don't settle for the premise that these things exist. You're hearing these things every week. You, you read the Bible, you see things. That's just, that's just a premise of the things that are available to you unless you step into them and allow them to be applied to your heart. You see, we can hear about peace. We can hear about all the things that are available to us. But if we don't step into it, then it is never a spiritual reality to us. You see, we have to push past the things that are presented to us just being a premise of something, some nice concept that comes from heaven to us. Push past that to the place of experiencing the reality of Christ coming to invite us in hospitality to have communion and peace and fellowship with God. Make sure that we are building ourselves on the solid foundation of the truth that transcends this world, and in that, then we will rise with Him. God, we thank You today again for the opportunity to be together and to be able to worship You, to fellowship with You. Father, it's more than we can ever express with words the gratitude that we have for your Son being given from heaven to be our light, to light our path back to the path of peace. For your Son who becomes for us a solid foundation on which we can build our lives. For your Son who has given us an inheritance with himself as we are adopted into your family through him. Father, help these things to be a spiritual reality for us. Help your peace to be a spiritual reality for us. Father, most of all, help us to be a people that would see your Son as so valuable and precious that we would never desire anything else above him. 
Father, we love you today. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.